Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 35 and today we are looking at the universal dilemma of temptation. Because in the church here we're moving now, we're in, we're in the season of Lent and this traditionally, this first Sunday of Lent is traditionally a time where we look at the subject of temptation. So to be human is to be tempted, right? And in our passage this morning, in our text, Luke 4, Jesus models for us that we don't have to give in to temptation. We actually have a choice. We actually have a choice. There's no such thing as the devil made me do it, in other words. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, you know, when you think about temptation, since we're all different, our temptations will be different, right? Different ages, different temptations. A 14-year-old boy won't have the same temptations as an 80-year-old woman. Different countries have different temptations, right? Uh, Here in the West, for example, there's lots of new temptations in the West that Jesus and his disciples never had to struggle with, never had to worry about, right? They They never had to, they didn't have to worry about spending too much time on media, did they, back in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago? In fact, interestingly enough, in a 2013 Barna study, it said that 44% of Americans, North Americans, list spending too much time on media as a temptation. It's like it's waste so much time. We we live with our head, our heads stuck in an iPhone, right? Lots of things we have today, Jesus and his disciples didn't have to be concerned about. Online pornography, venting anger online, angry emails, all new temptations. Never mentioned in Jesus' day. So temptations change, but the nature of temptation never changes. But temptations change, and it depends what country you're in. For example, here in the West, um, yeah, we have we have lots of temptations toward excess and overspending and overeating and all this kind of stuff. But in other countries where they don't have nearly as much as we do, that's not going to be a temptation. So temptations change depending on your age, your gender, where you live, but the nature of temptation remains the same century after century, and it's the nature of temptation that I'm interested in and I want to talk about today. Now, in our passage, we have, very briefly, Jesus is in the desert, and he is tempted with three different temptations. the, The three temptations are bread, power, and safety or security. And the text tells us that uh, he goes into the desert and the devil, which is translated Diablos, the false accuser, something or someone that, the false accuser, something that isn't truthful. He's in the desert and the devil speaks to him and begins to tempt him. Now he's in the desert and he's fasting. He's going to be fasting 40 days. 
and he's hungry. And the tempter suggests that Jesus uses power to turn stones into bread so he can eat. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is, the tempter said, how about you bow down to me? How about you recognize me? And I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can do whatever you want. You can reign them. I'll give you them. Which, of course, is a lie. The tempter had no power to do this. But nonetheless, that's the temptation. By the way, most temptations are a lie. And then the third temptation was, the tempter says, Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple? Surely God will send angels to help you. And Jesus resists all three temptations. Now, we will never be tempted in exactly this way because we're not Jesus, right? We don't even have power to turn stones into bread. But the nature of temptation is to have Jesus question or doubt his heavenly Father. And this is something that we will all experience frequently. Now, when we look at Jesus' temptation, what happens in this passage is it gives us a lot of insight into temptation or testing. It can also be translated testing in our own lives. Now, of course, God isn't tempting us. Life has a way of testing us, right? But one of the things that's really interesting is the context, and it, all, it usually always is. The context is so important when you look at these uh, stories in the Bible. One of the things that's most interesting is, is that Jesus' temptation comes at a high point in his life. It's at the very beginning of his ministry. He had a very short ministry, only had three years. But this temptation happens right at the start of his ministry. He's just been baptized, so he resolves to follow his heavenly father, follow God's way. The heavens open up, he's baptized, the spirit, the energy, the power of God descends, and this voice from heaven says, you're my son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I mean, talk about an affirmation as you begin your ministry. The heavens open up, break open, and the energy and the power of God descends. This is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. I'll take care of him. Sounds like a very, very clear message of encouragement. Jesus has just heard this. He goes off to the desert to pray, and the tempter says when he's hungry, verse 3, Luke chapter 4, if you are the son, command these stones to, to turn into bread. If you're the son. If you're the son, what is the tempter doing? He's calling his identity into question. He's, he's pointing out, and he, are you sure you're the son? Are you sure you're God's son? Are, are you right in that? Sowing mistrust. Another way of saying it is, are you sure God's going to look after you? Are you sure that God can be trusted? Jesus, maybe you better take things into your own hands, don't you think? Because if you don't, you could die out here in this desert. You're getting weak, you're getting hungry. You could die out here. And I wonder if this 
is the bottom line with temptation. I wonder if it's all about, at some level, are you sure that God can be trusted to give you what you need? Because when this happens, when I'm in this state where I'm not sure that God can really help me or meet me or give me what I need, I'm far more likely to act independently from God and take control of my life and make things happen or try to stop things from happening, which of course is control. If I'm, if I'm thinking that God can't be trusted, I'm, I'm either moving into stress and anxiety or I'm frantically trying to control people and their choices or fix their problems which of course actually ends up in stress and anxiety also further down the road, but I'm much more likely to begin to operate in, in this field of energy. I'm tempted, if I'm tempted to believe it's all up to me and I'm on my own and I have to do something. And I think that temptation often, often focuses on what I think I lack. And whatever it is that I lack, the temptation is to believe God can't help you with this. The temptation is to believe you're on your own here and it's all up to you. Now, the exact same pattern is found in the Genesis temptation story in the narrative in uh, Genesis 2. God says to Adam and Eve, remember that in paradise, remember the Genesis story, uh, everything is perfect. They have everything they need. And God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat any tree. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat that, you'll die. Now remember, there's no death in Genesis 2. There's no death in paradise at this point. So God's saying, eat whatever you want, but, but don't touch that. So it's kind of like a protection. Then the serpent appears in the garden with a question. The question is, Genesis 3.1, did God say that you can't eat any of the fruit? There you go, sowing mistrust. Did God say you can't eat any fruit? And Adam and Eve replied, no, no, we, we can eat everything, just, just not the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because, you know, if, if we do that, we'll die. And the serpent says, that's not true. That's not true. You won't die if you eat from that tree, the serpent says. The serpent said, God knows that if you, if you eat that, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. In other words, What's the subtext? Subtext is God's holding out on you. You better take care. You better take things into your own hands because God is not going to help you here. And I wonder if temptation's always about, you know, I know what's best. Yes, I know what God says. I know what's right. I know what's beneficial. I know all that, but, he, but you know what? I'm scared. I'm scared that God won't be there for me and I have my reasons for doing things my way. 
And I, and I want to be in control because it's just too difficult to trust a God that I can't see. And, and I think that this is not at a conscious level always, right? I don't think that we go around consciously thinking this. I think this might be at the subconscious drive, the, the reaction which ends up looking like, if I don't do something now, nothing will ever change. So we barge on ahead without the guidance of God and without the guidance of deeper wisdom. A most reactionary behavior is driven by this kind of anxiety. Each time Jesus is tempted to take control or manipulate a situation or go off in a wrong direction or use his power in the wrong way, he counters each suggestion, each alternative way of living with, no, I'm trusting God. That's Jesus' baseline. No, no. Turn, turn the stones into to bread. You're starving. No, man cannot live by bread alone. Now, a note about this business of Jesus. He counters every temptation with a, with a scripture verse. And, you know, a lot has been made over the years that uh, Jesus uses the scripture as a weapon to stand his ground. But I, I think I have a, a, a suggestion for you on how to view this and understand it that is, I think, more helpful. It's not so much that Jesus is using the scripture as a weapon, to defeat temptation. I think it's more a case that Jesus certainly does quote scripture, but it's because Jesus believes that to be actually true. I mean, he's saying, no, I'm not going to turn the stones into bread because I know that that bread isn't going to be enough for me. In the long run, it's not enough. I need more than that. I need my father's approval. I need to go the Father's way. So he models, Jesus basically models for us what Adam and Eve failed to do. Adam and Eve grabbed the power, you know. We don't need God, we'll have to do this ourselves. Their fear and their insecurity lead the way. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not going on ahead by myself in the desert in this desert of temptation. Now, we all have desert experiences, and when I talk about desert experiences, or I'm using the metaphor of a desert here, I'm thinking about the areas of our lives where we feel lack, where we feel an emptiness, a need, a desert experience. There's an emptiness there, like Jesus desert experience. The desert is a place where we feel vulnerable. And Jesus chose to trust his heavenly father in the vulnerable place. And we'll all have these desert experiences. It's, it's inescapable, right? And the test is always this. When we go through various tests or uh, deserts or struggles, the test is always who or what do you depend upon? The desert or times of temptation is a place to wrestle with ourselves 
And the wrestling is, okay, what, what's the bottom line here? How am I going to live? And who am I going to depend on? You know, we're such a strange mix in a way because we all want to depend on God, but we hate to give up control. We want to rely on God, but we want things done our way. Yeah, no wonder we get tired, right? We want to rely on God, but we want things done our way. And then a desert experience comes along, a trial, a discomfort, a disappointment, a grief, and we're tested. And it's different for every one of us. I mean, for some of us, maybe we're worrying about money and running out of it. Or maybe we're sick or someone we love is sick. Or maybe we're feeling vulnerable and unsure or we're going through a time of grief and loss. Or maybe we're lonely. Or we're worried about someone we love. Some of us are in unfulfilled marriages and partnerships. Some of us have a boring job that we hate. Some of us are struggling from a failure, a disappointment. All sorts of circumstances can feel like a desert. And the question is, okay, okay, what will it be? What will it be? You can either, we can either use this desert experience to go deeper and learn from this pain and discomfort, or you can run away and try and relieve your pain some other way or fix it some other way. What will it be in the desert? That's the choice. That's the choice. How will we live in the desert? How will we live with this test, this challenge, this struggle? Well, God says, well, I'll never, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Meaning, God says, one of the promises, you'll never be alone to work things out. You will never be alone to work things out. That's the lie. That's diablos. Sowing seeds of mistrust. That's the lie. That's the illusion. That's the first temptation. I have to figure this out. It's all up to me. No, God says it's not. No, it's not. It's not all up to me. Jesus said, I'm, I'm trusting my heavenly Father. I'm trusting. It's all about trust. It's all about trust. You know, let me say one thing about trusting God because I, I've always, always remember the time that someone came up to me and said, you know, all this talk about trusting God, but if I trust in God, nothing's ever going to get done. Well, that's an interesting comment because trusting God is not a passive thing. And trusting God is certainly not being inactive. As I said, you know, people often say, well, we have to do something, right? We've got to do something. I can't just wait for God to do something. I can't just wait for God to pay the bills or build the company or raise the children. These are my responsibilities. And of course, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. We use all the gifts and intellect God has given us to make wise choices and make good decisions. But trust is knowing 
What is your part to do and what is not your part to do? Trust is being led by right motives. That's big. That's big. Trust is knowing when to stop and when to go ahead. Trust is knowing when to move ahead courageously or when to wait. Because trust is being in a relationship, a communion, a partnership with God that hopefully grows and matures and gets stronger over the years, just like a good human relationship, so that we become more confident about what St. Paul called walking in the Spirit, which looks an awful lot like trusting God. Looks like God's with us and helping us. Jesus chose to trust his heavenly Father. So trust is really an act of choice, isn't it? It's like we have to remind ourselves, I'm trusting in God. Each time we forget, we come back to that touchstone. Not easy, which is why we, we often need the support and help of others. And I'm a great believer in being a part of a congregation, being a part of a group, because we need friends to help us, to remind us, to encourage us that you're not on your own, because we can so easily forget that, that your, your desert, your testing isn't something beyond God's reach. God meets us in the desert. God is faithful. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Help me in the desert. Help me to remember that you're with me and that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.